So just a couple of the announcements uh, from me before we uh, launch into the, now today's sermon with the first sermon in the four-week season of Advent. So I'm very excited, very excited about what Chris and I have come up with, um, very excited about what the Holy Spirit told us not to do and what to do. Um, uh, so <laughs> some of that will apply to uh, uh, my jokes this morning. <laughs> um, but I, I did want to point out that God was with us last week. And um, I want to thank everybody who made an, a pledge for next year's budget. As you can imagine, most churches, many businesses, and uh, a lot of us households are struggling with inflationary pressures and things like that. Um, and the church is absolutely no exception. And, and we mentioned that to you. We said that to you. We told you about the, the delta we had between expected income and expen- expected or planned for budget. And we had a strong first week. We're not, we're not all the way there yet. But I do want to say a, a special thank you um, to those of you who went above and beyond, far above and beyond what you had done in years past, both with pledges and with gifts. And so just know from the bottom of my heart, from all of our leaders, staff, and just every, your fellow co-prayers who are not only invested in this particular little patch of God's garden, but in the mission that God has sent us out to change the world with his love. I just want to say thank you. I also want to say part of the reason that uh, red bamboo um, bowl is there is because that's what the pledges were placed in last week. And if you have not pledged yet um, and you would like to, it's not mandatory. We don't like, you know, give you the evil eye if you don't. Um, most people don't even know. It's kind of between, it's really between you and God. We have the pledge cards in the back. You can either put it up here um, during the closing song or you can, if you're more shy, you just stick it down in the offering uh, jar too. That will work as well. So anyway, thank you for all those who gave so faithfully. Um, I, I do want to share that uh, there's a couple of other things going on. If you are looking for family fun things to do, a group called Macaroni Kid has produced a flyer so that you can do something every single day of December, which I know you're dying to do, Mom and Dad. So... Um, and luckily, it's small enough print. Your kids can't read it if you decide, nope. <laughs> um, but uh, so listen, today we are uh, we're starting our series, Taking Christmas Out of Christ. I love that wordplay. Of course, the great wordplays are Chris's idea. He came up with that. Like, you know, we hear the war, like we hear the worries about the war on Christmas. Like people are taking Christ out of Christmas. Well, I think the bigger problem is with us Christians, right? We can't seem to manage to take the Christmas out of Christ. And that's, uh, that's where we're headed today. Um, but I first want to tell you a story. So, so did anybody go on any trips this, uh, this weekend? Or, okay, a couple of you. Um, is there anybody like me who's kind of a grumpy dad or, or parent when you're packing and trying to get everybody out on time? And is there anybody else that's grumpy in here? Okay, there's some finger pointing among spouses, I see. <laughs> it's not always the dads, I see. Is it Brad Mall? <laughs> No. Um, so yeah, uh, so anyway, Mary and Joseph had the same deal going on. You know, that in order to get to Bethlehem for Christmas, well, they didn't call it Christmas then, right? But they had to get there um, for the census. They were coming all the way down from the hometown of Nazareth in the province of Galilee. That was a pretty long journey, especially when one of you is pregnant. And um, between uh, Mary and Joseph, there were some arguments that developed on the way. One of them was, what are we going to call the baby, right? Because they each had um, ancestors from either side of the family. And, um, you know, they, they did have this gut feeling because uh, th- they thought they'd heard an angel say, uh, you should call him 
you know, Yeshua, Joshua, right, in the, in the Hebrew, but they still weren't sure, and like, what about a middle name? So anyway, they, they get to the stable where they have to stay in because there's no room for them at the end, and of course, Mary's sitting down. She's really pregnant and, and ready to give birth, and Joseph is just pacing back and forth, and he's just more annoyed because these quarters are so cramped, and the walls are closing in, and the, there's not much room overhead, and he finally says to her, he says, Mary, we've just got to decide, and she goes, oh, Joseph, I don't know. He's like, turns around and bangs his head on a rafter, and he says, Jesus Christ. <laughs> and Mary says, hey, I like that. So there we go. <laughs> so you didn't know you were going to get the backstory on every part of Christmas during the season of Mad, but that's what Chris and I try to provide. Is there anybody here who thought, I can't believe he said that. That seems a little bit profane. I don't mean to go like this because that diminishes your concern. I was, it's kind of profane, right? You don't swear from the pulpit normally. <laughs> um, but the, the truth is that everything about Christmas is a little profane. It's about God coming into our profane world with his immense holiness and saying, you know what? Leave the holiness aside. I would rather have a relationship with profane and perfect people than no relationship with them at all. And so he came down from heaven and became flesh among us. That is the point of Christmas. Now, seriously, the thing about Christmas, especially in our Western world, it is, it is this mix of profane and the holy. Like, sure, we all want to be on church on Christmas Eve. We want that to be a beautiful service. Or I say church. We all want to be at the barn in DeSoto on Christmas Eve. And it's going to fill up fast, so we want you to uh, reserve your places at uh, the, the, the directions are there in your bulletin. But really, it does fill up. There's only like a, a capacity of 200 per service, and we're only doing four services. So please sign up quickly. Anyway, my point is, we want a beautiful service that's perfect and holy, but then we come back home. Now, some of us might have like a couple Bible verses on the wall or maybe on our, like, uh, our, like on our Christmas towels or something. We might have a cross on the wall by the door, and we might even have a manger, a nativity set. But what? What, my friends, is at the very center of Christmas for most of us in our houses? What is it? A Christmas tree. No, no, no. Uh, no. It's Elf on a Shelf. <laughs> now, <laughs> I don't know what these two were up to while we were at church today, but um, you've got to look out for that guy. He's kind of a booger. <laughs> so... Oh, no, 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 you're, you're right the first time. It is the Christmas tree. It is the Christmas tree. And the Christmas tree is something that has been around the world for, for not too many centuries. But it was, adapted, it was adapted from the pagan rituals of pre-Christian tribes who were celebrating the winter solstice, right? The, the shortest day of the year on December 21st. And so because, they, because it was the shortest day of the year and they wanted a remembrance that it was going to get green again, they either took trees that were evergreen or boughs that were evergreen. In southern Europe, they would take um, kind of less conifers, but the, the plants that were evergreen. So this evergreen has been a pagan, a pagan concept that that Christians appropriated, that we co-opted in order to point to a bigger truth. And that's really what Christmas is. How many of you have already set up your Christmas trees? All right. So, like, hop on the pagan bandwagon before 
we get to sacred Christmas. I mean, we put them everywhere. Uh, in our, you know, we have we we only have one, obviously, because we don't want that much junk around. But we have one. It's in the family room. Sometimes when the family room was more crowded with boys and games and kids and mess, we put it in the entryway. We got this little pencil size thing that that uh, we think is just the perfect size. But anyway, I was looking around the internet and I see people put Christmas trees everywhere. Now, I'm not, I'm not dissing you if you've got a kitchen that's big enough and like house glam enough to put it in your kitchen. But I look at this thing and I think, is there a fire hazard here? <laughs> I mean, you can tell like an interior designer looked this over and not like anybody with any sort of firefighting experience. That wreath <laughs> is going to go up in flames. And then, I mean, me personally, I would, rather, I would rather make room for like a bread maker so I could like make that cardamom bread that I love so much, but they thought a Christmas tree and a wreath would be a good idea. So anyway, but different one of us, we have our own kind of take on Christmas. There's, a, there's the patriotic Christmas. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, those folks that are talking about the war on Christmas, I'm not sure which side of the war this guy is on. Um, I think you can make an argument either way. And then I saw this on Reddit, and the caption was, this be a player's house at Christmas. And I don't know what that means. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> so anyway, a Christmas tree is one of the examples of how we, we merge the profane and the sacred in the same way that God decided at the right time he was going to merge his sacred with our profane. And that's the beauty and the holiness, the miracle of Christmas. Not that Jesus could be miraculously born at any time he wanted to be, but, but that God wanted to do it in the first place. So anyway, to uh, talk about this, uh, to get the series started properly, you know, the reason that we're, we have four Sundays in Advent is because the ancient church fathers, sorry, it was all a patriarchy, the ancient church fathers decided that Christians needed some time to prepare for Christmas. Otherwise, it would just show up on them. And so, so these four weeks of Advent is the beginning of the calendar of the liturgical church year. And again, Chris and I thought that if we would, if we would try to pull ourselves back from all the glitz and the traditions of Christmas and try to get back into, well, the heart of Christmas, the heart of what this worship of the Christ child is all about, that things would go a lot more holy for us and maybe a little less profane. So, I want to say, let's look at the beginning. Let's begin at the beginning. And um, to do that, we need to start with the very beginning of this story. Now, usually at the beginning of any childbirth, there's a mom and a dad, um, usually. Um, and in this particular incarnation of Jesus' story, there's uh, the dad's hanging around, but it's really the mom and her alone. So, uh, but I did get to thinking, a birth is really the mother's story, uh, most of all. It's all happening in her body, no matter how it got there. And at Christmas, there's a reason why the carols mention Mary. Did you know? Um, so as we kick off the Advent series of preparation, I want us to think about moms. Those of you who are moms, <laughs> you're thinking about being a mom all the time. I know it doesn't, the job doesn't get any easier or go part-time. But what does a mother's heart want for her children? I mean, any of us could say anything. It, to my child of a mom, married to a mom type mind, I, I think... When they're first born, we want our babies just to be healthy, right? That APGAR number really is a big deal. Um, as they get a little bit older, we, we want to see them thriving emotionally, um, relationally with other kids, and then spiritually. 
is they get to know who their God is and, and how we do is presenting that to them and modeling that for them. But then as they grow up, we want them to be all sorts of good things, right? We want them to be strong and confident. We want them to know they're loved by us as a family. We want them to be legitimately liked by at least a small handful of friends, preferably more because the more the better, right? When you're a parent, you think. We want them to be capable of forming friendships and eventually maybe even, hopefully even for most of us, hopefully a family of their own with the accompanying grandchildren that sometimes come from that arrangement. Um, But what do moms worry about? What do moms worry about on top of all that? I think there's one word that sums it up. Everything. (laughs) Moms worry about everything. And Mary was the same way. For all the reasons that I've I've mentioned, um, she's worried. Plus the scary fact that her child was supposed to be the one to save their nation, reestablish a long line of rulers, and be the king of kings and prince of peace. No small order. And you are the teenage girl that is assigned the job of being that mother. That's not an easy thing. So I want to take a look in today's message of some of the Christmas-related worries that were, that were active in Mary's heart as she gets pregnant and then carries the baby, not only to birth, but carries, her in her, carries him in her heart through the rest of their life. So in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy... God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. The angel Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus, and he will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel, and his kingdom will never end. But Mary asked the angel again, how can this happen, for I am a virgin? I love this. She doesn't seem panicked, right? But she did have to be told not to be afraid, so she must have looked pretty afraid, or Gabriel wouldn't have said that. But she's, she's concerned. She's thinking, how can this happen because I'm a virgin? That's kind of a big of a big line in the having a baby process that you have to cross. Um, She's curious. And based on the song that she's going to sing when she goes to her Aunt Elizabeth's house, she's supremely honored. So she's she's not so panicky she can't cope, but she's also aware that her pregnancy is going to be a bit scandalous in the town. And so she's worried not just about the shame it will bring on her, because you can't tell a whole neighborhood of of other women that this is the Holy Spirit's fault, right? I mean, they might listen before they start giggling, but they'll definitely giggle after you're gone. She not only knew it would shame herself, but it would shame Joseph as well. And being a good woman, she didn't want that to happen again. So she ran off to her cousin Elizabeth to get away from the spotlight, just like, just like unwed moms have been doing for millennia. Even in America, they've been running to get out of the way as soon as the baby bump showed. Now, thankfully, that's not changing so much. Not changing, I mean, it's changing now, but this is what Mary did. She went to the hill country. She hurried to the hill country, Scripture says, literally hurried. It doesn't say she didn't slowly pack and take some stuff and bring a present and pick one out and then, then go to her, 
ants, she hurried there to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth, and at the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leapt within her, and and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? Can you imagine this being a teenage girl who finds out you're pregnant, not the way they taught you in in PE class, but I mean some other crazy way that an angel announced you and you never even met an angel, let alone had to believe one. And then she has this woman she looks up to, her aunt, act like the aunt is like, I am not worthy. And... Imagine how upsetting and mind-bending that must be for a teenage girl. I mean, you teenagers in here, (laughs) parents in here who were teenagers at one point, you know, we pretended when we were kids that we thought we could do anything, but we really knew we couldn't. We needed a stable, dependable family with rules and and expectations that were clear and consequences. we, We needed that to be safe. And now all of Mary's expected consequences and rules are being thrown out the window. So she was scared. And then to have her aunt say, um, boy, sorry about that. Then to have her aunt say, God has blessed you above all women. Is this not traveling with me? Oh, man. Someday. I'm, I'm pressing these buttons, assuming. Is there anybody back there can put me on the Put me on the Elizabeth slide. Yeah, thank you. yeah, I know there's someone back there. Thank you, Micah. Um, so she's freaked out. She's really freaked out. And then she's also worried, of course, about her fiance, who, like all the other neighbors, knew that it wasn't his, right? And so by the time this other, by the time this happens. Um, the angel, I'm sorry, the nativity evangelist Matthew does us the honors. In Matthew 20, verse 19, um, Matthew writes this about Joseph. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son. You are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. I was hoping you wouldn't remember that verse as I told the opening joke there, but you didn't. So good. (laughs) So like Mary, like Mary worried about Joseph's reputation, he worried about hers. But it's also hard to be a successful businessman. He was a carpenter or even just a contractor, a stonecutter even. He was a builder in a small town. And how's a guy going to get respect if everybody knows that you can cheat on him and be okay? Especially his wife. So we see what he does to combat the worry. The first thing he decides to do is to keep his values ahead of his victimhood. He decides he's an honorable man. He's going to treat his fiance honorably, even if he feels slighted, wounded, that she has not treated him the same way. So before he met, meets the angel, he decides to divorce her quickly so she wouldn't be given added embarrassment, even if it meant no one would know his side of the story, if anybody cared. But after he heard the angel, after he heard God's voice, he followed it, not only in following through with his commitment to Mary, but, but on accepting the role of being a father to this supernaturally conceived of child. And 
When I say he accepted the role, I mean he chose and agreed to the name Jesus. In, in Scripture, in many, in many societies, it's the dad who picks the name. Or the dad has to at least okay the name. If you remember the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth earlier in the, in the book of Luke, the dad has to be okay with that name. In fact, God modeled that as a, as a power-giving tool when he told Adam in the story of Genesis to name the animals. And whatever Adam called them, that was its name in whatever language Adam was speaking at the time. Right? So naming indicates that he's the dad. So anyway, they did head off to... They did head off, um, to Bethlehem together, and they did have a name in mind, unlike I joked about. And there's no detail, though, suggesting that as they went to Bethlehem, they were worried about where they were going to stay. Clearly, they didn't realize that things get booked up at Christmas, but they just thought they'd go anyway. So they went to, to fulfill the census, and they don't worry. I think if they did worry, it would be mentioned, because Luke especially, and Matthew, they mention particular details that they think are important. And so from all, indica- all indications, they aren't worrying, which is interesting, because both of them worried individually. Mary had all sorts of worries individually. Joseph had all sorts of worries individually. But when they went together to Bethlehem, they didn't worry. Does that teach us something about the value of partnership and accompaniment? as we go through the struggles of, of our life. Okay, so then they get there, and while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. Now we're in Luke back chapter 2. She gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them at the inn. Okay, so then, the, then there comes along the birth. We don't have any worries reported. Of course, that's what the male preacher says. I'm sure there were worries going on all over the room. But then the visitors come. So when the, the, the visitors come, I mean, the angels appear to the shepherds on high. The, they tell the, the shepherds what's going on. Then the shepherds say, let's go see this thing that we've just heard about. So they go. As the angels return to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in a manger after seeing him, the shepherds, told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about the child. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. And here's the most important line. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. See, that's what moms do. The superficial things they smile at, they're grateful for, yay. But it's, it's the undercurrent. It's the things that are happening in the heart that moms stay and ponder. Mary kept all these things in her heart. And then the shepherds went back to their flocks, praising God, because, hey, what the, angel, what the people in the sky said turned out to be true. Who knew? Hallelujah. But Mary, Mary was thinking of something much more serious. See, Luke makes sure we remember that even after the army of angels appeared to the shepherds, it was Mary, the mother, who thought about them often. So even if she wasn't specifically worried or precisely worried, she was She was consumed by thinking about what they had just said. Well, it's almost as as if the reality of having a baby in your arms brings out more worry or builds on more worry than just when you're thinking about the baby coming. I mean, that was sure the case for me and Laura. I mean, we adopted our two boys, but still, we were like, oh, 
when they come, we'll do this, and we'll paint this, and then we'll do this, and then, hey, here's a great idea for Christmas, and hey, this is what we should do. But when the baby comes, you're like, ah! Now what do we do? Even though you've been talking about what to do for the last, like, five, in our case, five months, yours, maybe nine. <laughs> um, so anyway, like modern times, the couple then wants to get the baby dedicated, or after the Great Commission uh, that Jesus gave at the end of Matthew, then maybe baptized, depending on which way you want to roll with that. So they go to the temple eight days after Jesus' birth to get him circumcised and dedicated. And for some reason, this old-timer shows up named Simeon. Now, he's like a long-standing church volunteer. Maybe he's a, an usher or a greeter. Maybe he helps with the coffee. But this guy is invested in the church or the temple, and he's there a lot. But he goes specifically on that day to watch the dedications and probably other goings-on as well. And this is what Luke says in chapter 2, verse 27. That day the Spirit led him to the temple, so when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, do we have the... Yeah, we got perfect. Um, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace, as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all the people. He is the light. This is why I picked this painting. He is the light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. If you grew up in a liturgical church, that's one of the um, canticle responses. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to be the cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has, sent, he has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. This is what he's saying to Mary. It's like, hey, cute baby. By the way, a lot of people are going to hate him. He's going to cause all sorts of trouble. And as a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. You're like, uh-oh. And a sword will pierce your very soul. <laughs> Thanks for coming to worship. <laughs> which mother, which father, which caregiver, which anybody wouldn't look at their child and despite the love that they always have for their baby, be scared to death? I mean, if we had that guy on our baptism team, nobody would want to get baptized. <laughs> so throughout Mary's Throughout Jesus' life, his mother married. His mother Mary worried. Um, and you can see why. Jesus' life wasn't just about doing, making lives easier with like new sayings about how to get along in life. It wasn't just, hey, I should preach the Beatitudes and maybe people will use that for 12-step groups later. That would be cool. No, Jesus came to teach and role model a different way of living. And when you tell people there's a different way to do things, what do people usually respond <laughs> that's got to be a bad idea because I'm used to what I'm used to. So he was opposed. He had new adversaries every step of the way. In fact, as he grew up, Mary was still worried about the adversaries that he was collecting. In fact, um, that he might be making bad decisions or maybe that maybe some of, there's some mental health issues. I mean, he didn't know, she didn't know the Holy Spirit's gene pool. I mean, anything was possible. So people had been saying of Jesus, he's possessed by an evil spirit. And here are... <clears throat> Then Jesus' mother and his brothers came to see him. They stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk with them. There was a crowd sitting around Jesus, and someone said, Your mother and your brothers are outside asking for you. And Jesus said, Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he looked at those around him and said, Anyone, look at these, my, brother, my mother and brothers, anyone who does God's will, the will of my Father in heaven, is my 
brother and sister and mother. Now, when I think about these, I'm like, was Jesus like dissing his mom? She was worried about him, and he's a grown man, but still, you want to be nice to your mom. So at first I thought, well, he's kind of dissing her. Was that to make the point that you have to be more on board with Jesus than you are with the family? And then I realized probably Jesus like went to the door, looks out at his mom, winks at her and waves, and then he says it. She's his object lesson, and he loves her. He still, he still treasures the fact that she worries about him. My guess is that it, at Thanksgiving this last week, if, if you celebrated in the you know, traditional maybe Thursday or some, some other time this weekend, um, you had the gift of treasuring good things in your heart. For Laura and I, honestly, she spent hours and hours making the food, and we spent about, so there's three boys, well, including me, six feet or over, and we probably ate the food in about 20 minutes, that's if we chewed long with each bite. And then we spent about 200 minutes playing board games. And what we remember is Laura and I closed the door on Jeremy and Eli went back up to his room. We're like, you know what? That was the best Thanksgiving we can remember in a long time because God gave us this blessing of a family that we can be thankful for and treasure but unless I idyllic days, I skip the treasuring and I just go right to worrying. I mean, I worry about things all the time. I worry about my kids. Okay, are they really going to get a job that's going to support them? I worry about the church. How is the church going to adapt to the changing culture and all the growing antagonism that people have in the civic, in the civic world? People are getting catechized by, by cable news, and then they come in here for, and we get, what, 20, 30 minutes to talk to them? How are we going to make any difference? It's things like that I worry about. But... But I have some advantages in overcoming the worry that many of you have too, and most of all, that Jesus had. I had a mom and a dad who taught me how to worry a little, or taught me that it's okay to worry a little, but showed me that it's better to laugh a lot. I had a church as I grew up, which you do too, that taught the children of the church what it means to trust Jesus, not by just giving them stories from a book, or using a flannel graph to show where the people go in the Bible stories, but because they showed their lives to their children, showed how they got through struggles, how they had a close-up view of faith. Every adult that I knew in that church of any that, that I was close to, I knew a little bit about how they had struggled through their faith because the adults weren't too afraid to share it. And they weren't too afraid to be youth advisors. Or, or, or Sunday school teachers, or invite us to help with acolyting and things like that. So I had a parents, I had a church, but most of all, most of all, I had a lifelong relationship with Jesus. It started in high school that I can remember. And sometimes Jesus and I can solve the problems that we slash I are having, and that feels real good. But sometimes we can't. Sometimes the problems that I want Jesus to help me with keep remaining problems. And all I can do is sit with Jesus around my fire pit and throw pistachio shells in the fire and grieve the fact that I'm human and can't make everything better. And when someone goes through as much, spends as much time with you as Jesus does with me, as Mary did with Jesus, you kind of end up trusting them. And Mary and her son trusted each other. He knew that she was always worrying about him. He knew that she was always 
worried about the holy people who picked on him. Ironically, in Jesus' time, it was the holy people who were the most hurtful. That doesn't happen anymore, right? <laughs> he, was, he saw that his mother was bravely standing with him at the foot of the cross. He not only trusted his mom, but he entrusted her to the care of his friend John. The thing is, the more you leave, the more room you leave for worry in your heart, the less room you leave for Christ. But the more room you give to Christ, the less room there is for worry. And Christmas is a time when our eternal holy God not only draws near, but gently enters our human life as imperfect, sinful, and profane as it is. And that's how Jesus redeems the sinfulness in me, transforming me, taming my worries, and validating me as something sacred too. So let's end at the beginning, the very beginning, and let me read these to you, these words. This is a pieta that you see on the screen here. Um, Michelangelo's piece in St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God, and the Word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Isn't just hasn't yet extinguished it, isn't we hope won't extinguish it, the, the light, the darkness cannot extinguish it. So the Lord, so the word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And I see that not only at Mary's worrying about her son in his final hours, by the way, I think this is a fair um, paint, a fair sculpture, because my guess is if anybody is going to run to their son's body after he's been brutally crucified, tortured, and mocked by not just the, the secular authorities, but they're his religious colleagues as well. It's going to be his mom. And no matter that, that Joseph, of Aram, Joseph of Arimathea was arranging things and Nicodemus was helping, she's like, out of the way, guys. She held her son. And the beautiful thing about this is that she's pictured as the, the young Mary who, who brought him into the world. And then this kind of Christmas card-looking picture, to me, that's, that's the same thing. Is that Mary could, Mary could ease her worries because she knew what the end was. And this, this Christmas, my friends, to ease your worries, not just about Christmas, but about your whole life, I would encourage you to go back to the beginning, not the beginning of your life, not the beginning of your family, but the very beginning when Jesus Christ laid down his life so that you might have life and have it abundantly. I pray, my friends, that this Christmas you will remember that even before you were born, God knew you'd worry. And he knew you'd have so many things to worry about because, well, the Adam and Eve thing, right? We're in a world with real things, real challenges, but he also promised not to leave you alone. And remember, he sent his son to dwell among us here on earth and to dwell inside of you your whole life long. Let's have a wonderful, deep, and powerful Christmas that changes lives with Jesus' love, beginning with our own. In the name of Jesus, amen.